Amen. Have you ever woke up and wondered, how did I get here? Uh, I, uh, I used to try to take my kids camping. I eventually got them in Boy Scouts, so I wouldn't have to do that anymore. But I used to try to take them camping, and one year I took them in January uh, because I had promised them that I would. And true to my word, I took them camping. And uh, there's two things about January. One is it gets dark really early. And two is it's cold. I don't know if you all know those two things. I clearly forgot them. So I'm, taking, I'm getting the kids ready. i got a tent. I've only got three sleeping bags, even though there's four of us. One of them is three years old. I'm thinking, he'll keep me warm. I'll just keep him right here. And so uh, we stayed outside till dark. And then we got in the tent. We played around a little bit. You know, we'd made our little marshmallows and all that stuff. And so then we, you know, kind of bedded down for the night. Now, you need to know this. If you are in a sleeping bag with a three-year-old, you don't get to move. I mean, he's here. Like, you're, you're close. There's no moving. And if you're sleeping on the cold, hard ground and you don't move, you wake up paralyzed on one side of your body. And so I thought I had a stroke. I mean, I woke up. I was in so much pain. Couldn't move my arm. Couldn't feel anything in my legs. Felt a whole lot of pain in my hip. And I'm sitting there going, this is the worst idea I've ever had. I can't move. My kids are all asleep. I can't move. I'm listening to the wind whip through the tent. I'm like, what? What? And so I was so kind of distraught. I got out of the tent and went and got in my car. And I'm sitting there going, I, it's probably like 3 in the morning. I don't know what to do. Uh, and so trying to figure out what to do, I turned the key to just turn the heater on so I can think. The clock in my car comes on. It's 9 p.m. I had made it a whole two hours. And so then I knew what to do. I warmed my car up. I quietly went into the tent, picked up each child one at a time, put them in the car. They never woke up. Drove home, put them in their beds. They never woke up. I got in my bed where I was toasty and warm by 1030. Um, that is how you camp if you're a Jones. So the next morning, we get up, and I'm making pancakes like I always do on Saturday mornings. And one by one, the boys all did the same thing. They came in, they smelled the pancakes, and then they went, wait a minute. This is not where I went to bed. How did I get here? How did I get here? That's a, that's a great question. I think there's always times in our life when, in a much more serious way, we just want to go, where am I, and how did I get here? The, uh, the Lumineers had a song, uh, wrote a song. The, the lead singer of the Lumineers had a car accident last summer. And he, he, by all rights, he probably should have died from it, but it, the Lord preserved him, him and his wife. And, and she kind of woke up from it before he did. And she just started asking him over and over, where are we? And he was, kept her saying, he kept saying, I don't know where we are, but we'll be all right. Sometimes that's what life feels like. Where are? How did I get here? A friend of mine woke up in the hospital after attempting suicide and failing. What am I doing here? That's where the Lord found him. A student I ministered to at uh, the University of Tennessee years and years ago, he uh, was meeting with a campus minister, and he said, you know, I grew up in the church, but I've kind of left that. I mean, I've slept with eight different girls this, my, my, this semester alone. And the campus minister kind of got angry, and he said, what makes you think you're getting away with that? 
And he said, oh, I know I'm not getting away with it. I woke up in a girl's bed this weekend. I didn't know her last name. He said, all I could keep thinking was, how did I get here? How did I get here? It happens to us all. Sometimes it's completely normal, but we still ask ourselves those questions, right? Uh, You're a parent. You walk into the living room, and you see four kids, and you think, how did that happen? What am I doing here? Eighteen years later, you walk into the living room, there's no one there. How did that happen? Where am I? What do I do now? Uh, It happens as a result of our sin. It happens as a result of just life. I grew up in the 80s when the worst thing you could possibly be caught doing was selling marijuana or using marijuana. I mean, it was it. We, we, do, just Say No was everywhere. It was on the back of our basketball team's warm-ups. Just Say No. We would chant that before every game. Now I can't drive down any street in Tulsa without seeing a, a marijuana dispensary. Now, I'm not, I, don't have, I have no opinion about that. I really don't. I'm very confused. But it's different. And it makes me say to myself, Where, how did I get here? I think I live in a different place, a different time. Like Everything's different. And those are very real questions. I'm not pretending that they're questions. They're real questions. And these questions are answered for us in a lot, to a large degree, to a large degree, are answered for us uh, in the book of Daniel. We're going to study the book of Daniel this summer. And Daniel is a real person. That's the first thing to learn, right? Uh, you, we, if you grew up going to vacation Bible school and Sunday school, you know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, and he's such a happy, little, cheerful guy, and he's just always getting delivered and always winning. Uh, he's actually the only figure in the Bible who never sins besides Jesus. Uh, we can talk about that later. But um, he, he, he's a real person. He's a real person who lived through a siege of his hometown, which meant he was almost starved. He's a real person who was kidnapped, taken in chains away from his uh, city and his family and his people, and he was taken to one town, and then they, uh, because he was among the, the best and the brightest of the group, was taken all the way into Babylon. And you have to think, he woke up in Babylon over and over again saying, how did I get here? I don't know these customs. I don't know this language. I don't worship this God. I'm, this is, I, how did I get here? What am I supposed to do? I think if you haven't ever asked yourself that question, you're going to. And what I want you to see is, no matter where you are, God is with you. God is for you. And he wants you to serve the people that you are around. He is with you. He's for you. And he wants you to serve. Please stand as we read the first chapter of the book of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar and to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, 
used without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, and Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine the king drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear, my lord the king, who assigns your food and your drink. Why should he see that you're in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink, and let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter, and he told them for ten days, and at the end of ten days it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought him in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Thus far the reading of God's word. All men are like grass, and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. When you wake up and you don't know where you are, I want you to remember God is with you, he is for you, and he wants you to serve. Uh, what, what am I doing here? That's the first question he asks, right? What am I doing here? He, he's in Babylon. How did I get here? And, and that's a great question, and, and you have to kind of sit with the answer a little bit. Um, Elizabeth Elliot was a woman who right out of college married her her boyfriend, her, the love of her life, Jim Elliott, and he died in, uh, in a missions uh, moment. He, he was trying to spread the gospel in Central America, and he was killed pretty quickly. Her heart was broken, but the Lord brought her another man to husband her, and he, she loved him and, and, loved, and married him. And not long after he, she married him, he was diagnosed with cancer and, and died. And she said this. She said, when you wake up and everything in your world is falling around you and everything is different, ask yourself, what has not changed? What has not changed? God is there. God sees me. He knows me. 
I think it's fascinating the way they describe this. Look at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. How did Daniel end up in Babylon? King Nebuchadnezzar. It was his fault. It was his plan. He basically sacked the city. Now, it took him a while. He went back three times before the city was completely destroyed. This time, he just took a few things from the temple. Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city. And, not but, and, look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God was there. This was not a a travesty of, of God's people being destroyed and God being asleep at the wheel. He knew what was happening. He was sovereign over this event. He was with them. He saw it. He was part of it. He gave them. That's a hard lesson, but it's important. It's important because we see both this this working of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. God didn't uh, destroy Israel himself, but he gave Israel to Nebuchadnezzar. He was active in it. He was active in it. Do you recognize that? Do you recognize that that God is part even of your your worst days? Do you see that he is there? He's keeping his word in this case. In in Israel's case, he had told them in Leviticus 23 and in uh, Isaiah 39, both times. And in Leviticus, he had said, if you worship idols and look to other lands to save you, I will give you into the hands of those other lands. And in Isaiah, is the story of Hezekiah, the king, one of the most righteous kings Israel ever had, Judah ever had. And he said, uh, but, but Hezekiah was being sieged by the Assyrians, and he was scared. And instead of calling out to the Lord, he reached out to the Babylonians, and he said, if y'all will come, we will pay you with gold and silver. And the Babylonians came and saved them. And God sent Isaiah to him to say, you shouldn't have done that. You know better than that. I will deliver your lands into that Babylonians' hands. God keeps his word. That's weird. <laughs> it's hard to take comfort from God keeping his word when he's keeping his word and punishing his people. But it's important to see he doesn't abandon his people. He disciplines them. He doesn't abandon them. He's there with them, and because he was there with them, they could call out to him. God hasn't changed. He's with them. I had a teacher in seminary named Derek Thomas, and he was preaching in a church that he didn't know anything about. That he, seminary professors get invited to do that a lot. He just kind of came in for the day. He preached a sermon on God's sovereignty, God's being uh, ordaining whatsoever comes to pass. He didn't know that on the third row was a family whose uh, teenage daughter had been killed in a car wreck two weeks before. He was distraught when he found out after the sermon. How could I preach something so cold and, and you know, academic at a time when they needed to be pastored? And he really was just kind of at a loss. And he got a letter from them two weeks later. And the letter said, we want you to know your sermon was the only word we heard of comfort. 
Everybody tried to comfort us by saying God wasn't in this. And, and that was no, that God was here to heal them, but, but wasn't part of the accident. And, and I want you to know that the idea that God can't stop a car accident makes him absolutely useless. You were the only one who comforted us. That God was in it. And we can trust him to heal it. And we know that. We know that from last weekend. We all celebrate God being there on Easter and raising Jesus up from the dead. But he had to be raised up from the dead. God was also there on Good Friday when every disciple must have lost their faith, when every one of them must have felt like God had abandoned them. He was there. And because he's there, we can trust him to heal us. And because he is there, we know that he's going to use us. And he has not abandoned us, and therefore we have to be careful not to abandon him. That's the second point. When we're living in Babylon, when we wake up here in this world, we are all Christians in Babylon. Uh, We're in the dispersion. That's why I had Josh read that text, right? We live in the dispersion. We are not in a Christian city, county, state, country, or world yet. All those things are coming after the return of Christ, but not until then. And until then, we have to live as strangers in a strange land. And the first sign we see of how to live in a strange land is this. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He was offered the, king, the, the food and the wine of the king, the delicacies, the good stuff. And he said, I'm not going to eat it. It's really interesting. Uh, all the commentaries you read say, we don't know why he, decided, we, he decided not to eat it. It's not clear that it would have been a sin to eat it. Um, maybe because it was pork and, and Jews didn't eat pork. Maybe because it had been offered to idols. Uh, but every commentator says, we really don't know. However, I think I know. Now, if I were you, I'd be very skeptical of this theory. But, Psalm, uh, Proverbs 23 says this, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you. Put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. I think Daniel knew this proverb, and I think he knew that by by fattening them up on the best food and by deadening their senses with the best wine, the king was sucking them in. And he didn't want to be assimilated. There was no I don't there was clearly no sin. at least we're not told, that there was a sin involved. It was just him wanting to be different. Him saying, I I didn't have a choice whether or not to come here, but I'm not going to become one of you. And, And we all have those times when we live in the world. The way the world gets us is not by just confronting us with obvious sin. It's not like somebody puts a gun in your hand and says, shoot. The world gets us by putting us to sleep. At least in South Tulsa, right? It's it's the comforts of the things that are around us and the, the, the riches, the toys that are always just out of reach that make us one of them. I had a 
I lived in Mississippi during the, the MCI WorldCom scandal. If you don't remember that, or if you were young in 2002, they, uh, the MCI WorldCom was found guilty of fraud to the tune of $11 billion. And that was in 2002, when $11 billion is a lot of money. And uh, I didn't know anybody who worked there, but I knew my, one of my good friends was the lawyer who ended up representing the controller. The controller's kind of the head accountant. He's the one who signs off on everything that's done. And he's a Christian. He loves the Lord. You know, went to RUF Bible studies at Ole Miss, just like everybody else. Uh, he really, and he believed it. He's not like, you know, fake Christian. Like, he believed the stuff. He's a good guy. And he said that, you know, he got into WorldCom, and it wasn't that they were tempting him to do anything wrong. It was a very ethical company. Uh, but they just kept giving him the stuff, you know. Hey, I mean, they were making billions of dollars. And, and you know, the CEO and the CFO would, would offer him trips to their uh, beach houses or offer him trips to all over the Caribbean or wherever he wanted to go. And, and they had the homes, and they were encouraging him to buy the homes. And they had the cars, and they were encouraging him to have the cars. And they, don't, they never tempted him to sin. They just always enticed him to enjoy the wealth that God has provided. And then one day they called him into the office. And they said, this is what we are going to do. <laughs> we are going to start counting these loans as assets. And he said, but that's the opposite <laughs> of what we're supposed to do. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to make our books look better than they really are so people will keep buying our stock. So all those loans are now assets. But they're not, shh, this is what we're going to do. And he did it. And he went to jail for it. You see, the, the, world, the world doesn't present its true face to you until you're deep in it. It just puts you to sleep. It just deceives you. You know what Jesus said. I was out last year, last yesterday. Sorry, yesterday I was out in the yard weeding it, weeding the yard. Why would you even have to weed a yard? Who planted the weeds? I don't know. I didn't like. Why do you have to do this? But dandelions and all the junk that's in the yard. I'm pulling it out all day long, and I'm thinking about when Jesus is teaching about weeds, and or he's teaching about uh, seed, the the word of God falling on the good soil, fertile hearts. And the seed grows, and it's strong and produces good plants, but the ground also produces thorns and thistles and weeds, and they choke the, good, the, the, the good soil out. They choke the plants out. There's nothing wrong with the heart. The heart was good. It just had weeds in it. And you know what Jesus says those weeds are? The deceitfulness of wealth, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth. That's a big message for us in South Tulsa, isn't it? Because wealth deceives us. I preach on wealth about once a year, and uh, I always quote John Jacob Astor, who was a millionaire back in the eight, 18th century, and and he said that the care of $5 million, and that was a lot of money back then, he said the care of $5 million is too much of a burden for any shoulder to carry. And every one of us, we say, think the same thing, don't you? Let's give it a shot. 
I think my shoulders are stronger than that. The deceitfulness of wealth. What's wrong with wanting it? Some of you are thinking, I don't have to worry about that. I ain't got no wealth to deceive me. The Apostle Paul says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a trap and many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. How do we live in the world? How do we live in a place we wake up in and feel like a stranger? A, we resolve not to defile ourselves. We're going to be different. We're going to resolve not to defile ourselves. Now, some of you are worried at this point. You don't think, you think it's too late. You're already defiled. What can you do now? And you're, maybe you're feeling ashamed or you're feeling dirty. And if you think it's too late for you, I, I need you to know something. You don't know Jesus if you think it's too late. Jesus came for the dirty. One of my favorite stories uh, in the Gospels is in Mark chapter 1. And uh, Jesus is walking, and a leper came up to him. Now, lepers were unclean. That's, that's all you need to know about them. They're, un, they're defiled. They are defiled. And if you touch them, you become defiled. And the leper calls out to Jesus in these heartbreaking words. He says, I know you can make me clean if you will, if you're willing. And Jesus, the text is very clear. He stops. He reaches out and touches him. And he says, I am willing. Be clean. When, When Jesus touches the defiled, it becomes clean. He takes our defilement upon himself so that he can make us clean. And if, if you're looking at yourself going, the world has already defiled me, the thing to do is not to try harder. It's to recognize that he is the Jesus. He is the God who cleans the dirty. And come to him. The first thing to do is recognize where, why you're there. You're there in God's plan. And the second thing to do is re- recognize what you have to stand against and, and resolve to not be defiled. And then finally, we engage. And we engage in a way to serve the Lord, to serve the people around us. God has us here for a reason. And I don't know where your here is, but you're here for the, a reason of serving the people around you. I know that absolutely. That's why God has you here. What does Daniel do? Well, Daniel... See how many of you remember. Daniel followed the the advice, the wisdom of a letter that was sent. How many of you remember who sent the letter? Jeremiah, right. It was a good guess, right? That's what I preached on last summer. Uh, Jeremiah sent a letter to the people in to the the people who had been taken captive into Babylon, the, the Jews who were taken captive, and he said this, among other things. He said, Seek the welfare of the city where you are sent into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your own welfare. Seek the good of the people who are around you. Make their lives better. Use the gifts that God has given you to improve that place where you are. That's why you're there. God gave Daniel great wisdom, and he exceeded all the other students around him. Him and his friends were ten times better. And you know what they were ten times better at? 
the studies of the Babylonians and the Chaldeans. That means they were great at astrology, and they didn't even believe in astrology. That means they were great at the mythology of Marduk, and they certainly didn't believe any of that. But they knew it all. And God put them in a place, because of their hard work and because of their gifts, he put them in a place where they could bless all of Babylon. And they were willing to do it. Where has God put you? Are you in a place you never expected to be? Do you not have the children you expected or have way more children than you expected? Are you, you got all the spouse you can handle? Or are you missing one? You're there for a reason. God is there with you. And he is specially gifting you to be where you are. Don't avoid, engage. You know what's going on right now? I I just find this so crazy. This afternoon, three people I know for sure are going to listen to this sermon. One's in the state penitentiary of Arizona, one's in the Oklahoma state penitentiary, and one's in Florida in the federal penitentiary. And they're all going to take the stuff they hear now, and they're going to teach it to the prisoners around them. And they, they tell me about it. I know because they tell me all the time. Isn't that crazy? They all woke up, Christians in prison, saying, how did I get here? And they've all decided to not be part of the prison culture and to use their voice for Christ. And God's doing great work because of it. God is where you are. He's where you are. And he's for you. And he wants you to serve the people that are around you. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning and we confess our defilement. We have looked at the things the world has and the thing the world does and we... Instead of resolving in our hearts, we've gotten lazy and gone with them. Father, we rejoice that you sent your Son to cleanse us. And we pray, Father, that with the knowledge that you know where we are, we pray that you would give that same grace to us that you gave to Daniel. so that we could find favor in the eyes of the people around us, and so that we could serve them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.